know about you, but I was blessed by that music. Thank you, Stephen, Elaine, choir, for that music. I don't know about you, but the building was kind of full of light during that, that music, so appreciate that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for light, light that pushes back the darkness, light that stands out, light that cannot be overtaken by the darkness. Father, right now I pray that there would be light cascading throughout this building. That God, as we talk about what it looks like to walk in the light, as you are in the light, that you would speak to our hearts. We commit this service to you, and Jesus, please show up and show off today. I pray that as your word is sung and spoken, that light would fill our hearts, so that as we go out into the mission field, that is, our jobs, our homes, our communities, that we would be light to a world that so desperately needs it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I just got back from a seminary. For those uh, you don't know, I'm working through another degree at seminary and uh, go to Columbia International. So I checked down to Columbia, South Carolina, and um, decided to, you know, make make the most of the week. I miss my family, kids. So I checked into this hotel, and I thought it'd be decent. It fit within my budget. And have you ever checked into a place and you know you need to check out as soon as you check in? It was one of those places. Um, I went to the front desk, and the lady's like, we don't have your reservation. And I'm like, well, I got the number right here. Sorry we don't have it. So uh, we're trying to figure out what's going on. And 20 minutes later... Come to find out there was another person with the last name Brown, go figure, and they had signed my reservation. Talk about identity fraud, watch out, right? So they had signed, signed my registration, checked into my room, and uh, <laughs> the story gets worse. So I check into my room, and it, it smelled like someone had had a smoke party the night before. And no offense to any smokers out there, but I'm a non-smoker, and if you go in a smoking room, it's just like, I don't think a motel is supposed to smell like smoke. Um, is this, you know, so they, they put me in another room and it was a little better, but still I'm like, I've got, I've got to get out of this place. I can't spend five nights and, you know, just, it's going to be bad. So I had a friend who said, Timothy, you should check out uh, bed and breakfasts. And I was like, okay. So I, I called a bed and breakfast. It was way out of my budget. And I left a message on the voicemail and the lady called me right back. And uh, she said, well, you know, you won't believe this, but my son-in-law also went to Columbia Bible College, and I'm willing to work with your budget. So I was able to get out of the smoke-filled room, and I checked into this. This was my room for the, for the week, and uh, it was like I had gone from the smokehouse to the penthouse. <laughs> and um, I was just like, wow. So this is the – any of you guys ever stayed at a B&B? Okay, I, first time ever, so I didn't know what the culture was, but – B&Bs are places where people really like to talk. So every night they wanted to meet the minister. And I end up, you know, it's usually the people that came for the week were mostly retirees traveling through, mostly in their 60s and above. And they had a lot of questions for me. So it turned into a great ministry opportunity. But, you know, I began to think about it. A lot of us are in the rundown motel. And Jesus offers us something better, but we're not willing to make the call. We're not willing to take a leap of faith. So today we're going to talk about exchanging the darkness for the light. Exchanging the old new for the new you. And I just want to encourage you, some of you may not realize it, but you've gotten used to 
the rundown, rundown hotel. And Jesus knocks on the door of your heart and says, hey, I'm willing to exchange. And the life I give you is far better than this B&B that you're looking on the screen. I've come to give you life and it more abundantly. Amen. So let's uh, look into the word. You guys ready to jump into God's word? I'm excited. I don't know about you, but I love God's word. It's so powerful, so life transforming. And here, Arden, first, we study it verse by verse because there's power in every verse. So let's jump. We're going to be in Ephesians 5, verse 8, and we're going to start in verse 8. So if you guys will read along with me. It says, For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Notice it says, not in darkness, but you were darkness. That's pretty bad. Walk as children of light. Verse 9, it says, For the fruit of the Spirit, other translations say the fruit of the light, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Any of you guys ever ask, what is God's will? Well, verse 10 talks about that. Verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by what? The light. For whatever makes manifest is light. And I love verse 14. Some people think this is an old hymn that the Apostle Paul quotes. But it says, therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Sounds like some of your teenage kids. Get out of bed. It's time for school. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. May God bless his word. If you'll look at your listening guide, I got a few highlights um, about this passage, about what it means and what it looks like to walk in the light. The first one is this. If you don't remember where you came from, you can forget where you're going. Look at verse 8. It says, for you were once, what? Darkness. But now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Whenever someone gives his or her life to Christ, Jesus moves in. He unpacks his bags and he's inside of your life. The problem is, you ever notice how the old you keeps showing up? And you're like, how is it that Jesus is living inside of me through his spirit, but yet the old me is still camping out? I put Jesus on the throne in my heart, but sometimes it seems like the old me tends to shove Jesus off. Well, Max Lucado gives a brilliant story of this wealthy but frugal lady. This is at the turn of the century when electricity was first being developed in houses. So she had her electricity turned on to all the chagrin of her neighbors, and I can't believe it, that she's got electricity. What about that? So the meter guy came by. Any of you guys still have meter guys that come by? We just get sent the bill. We don't have any meter readers anymore. But the meter reader came by and knocked on the door and said, Ma'am, we've noticed that you've hardly use any electricity at all. Are you are you using electricity? And the proper posh lady said, I do, but I only use it at nighttime so I can see in order to light the candles. So this lady was connected, but she wasn't tapped into the source. She had been connected to it, but she was not altered. And isn't the same mistake we made, we make, We're connected to Jesus, the greatest power, the greatest light source, but yet we're still in the dark. We're still living by our own ways. And 
Paul says it like this. You were once darkness. Do you remember the old you? It doesn't say you were in darkness, which you were, but it says you were darkness. So the problem about darkness is you can't see what is around you. The problem about darkness is you tend to stumble. Any of you have ever stumbled in the night and hurt your toe and you hear a screaming in the room like, ouch, it's because you're in darkness. You can't see what lies around. But notice it says, but now you're light. Notice it doesn't say you're in light, but it says you are light in the Lord. So what happens is Jesus is the light of the world. And whenever Jesus moves inside of you, all of a sudden the darkness is pushed back. And you once were darkness, but now you're light. So the question begs is this. Is there a discernible difference between the old new and the you new? Is there a difference between the old Timothy and the new Timothy? Has there been a change? It should be. If Jesus has turned the lights on in your house, they should, it should show externally. Have you ever talked to somebody and their eyes seem glazed over and they're half out of it? It seemed like there was no one inside. You know, Jesus, when he moves inside, it should show. We should be the most hopeful, optimistic people. I know we're having challenges with everything going on in America today. We could, I mean, we get on both sides of the debate and we're not going to go there. But here's the thing. No matter what happens to our country, we serve a king who never gets voted in or out of office. No matter what happens to America, we are seeking and part of a kingdom that never ends. And no matter what happens to us, God's got a plan for us and he's working in us. So Paul says, you once were darkness, but now you're light. Matthew 5, if you're taking notes, verses 14 through 16, it says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a basket, but they set it on its stand. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I was so bold, and I would carry my Bible around. I would even wear the Jesus t-shirts. Remember the Lord's Gym? Show the big Jesus. And in school, when I went to public school before I switched over, got a lot of persecution about that. But you know, now I look back, I was, I was trying to be light in a dark place. How many of us, when the darkness comes against us, we have a dimmer, you have a light dimmer switch in your house. Some of us have that dimmer spiritually, and we're like, I'm going to tone down the light. Don't want to offend anybody. But the world is so blatant about their darkness, they don't care. If you notice that, they'll tell you what they think, how they think, and they're bold. But God forbid that you should be bold in your faith. Because they'll con- but the reason why there's a, there's a battle, darkness doesn't like the light. Have you ever seen a possum in headlights? Creatures of the night do not do not like to get blinded by the light. And many of us, it's like this. I'll draw a scenario. Have you ever been to a gathering? It could be a family gathering. It could be friends. And you're one of the only Christians there. And you haven't said anything about Jesus to the point. You haven't quoted your King James Bible or whatever. And um, people look at you with a glare and you're like, I hadn't said anything. You wonder why? It's because you're light, and whether you realize it or not, you're shining. And for someone that's still in the darkness, it's like the possum in headlights is blinding them. And there's a battle between the light and the darkness. 
Romans 13, 12 says it like this. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Isn't that just a warm passage? Put off the darkness, put on the light. Notice, uh, going back in verse 8, it says, walk as children of the light. So in other words, if you are light in the Lord, you once were darkness, now you're light, then walking in light is just being true to who you are. If you walk in darkness as a Christian, you're being contrary to your own nature. Have you ever thought about that? Because you have received a new birth. You are now living in light. So here's the thing about Christians. I get asked this question. Can a Christian lose their salvation? Can a Christian walk away? Well, think about it like this. If you are walking in darkness and you're not convicted, you have to ask yourself the question, did I ever have light to begin with? Because once you've experienced light, the darkness no longer satisfies long term. For those of you who have ever turned away from God, you know how, how convicted you felt until you began to walk in the light. First John 1 John 1.7 says it like this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that beautiful? As you're walking in the light. Here's what I I love. One of the many things I love about God. He doesn't reveal all of your failures and mistakes all at once. It's like a slow process. Aren't you glad? Because we would be like, woe is me every day. But it's kind of like imagine a lantern. Or the Bible says your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Before they invented these LED lights and bright lights and spotlights, they used lanterns. And a lantern only illuminates the next step. You ever notice that? It's, it's just a little bit ahead. So as you walk in the light, God reveals more of the darkness. And he pushes back the darkness. And to use the old Bible word we seldom use in churches, but sanctification. Anybody remember that growing up? It means becoming more of what you are, walking in the light. So as you walk in the light, God pushes back the darkness. You once were lost, but now you're found. You once were darkness, but now you're light. You once were not a people, but now you're the people of God. You once had no hope, but now you're living in hope. You once were directionless, but now you're living in destiny. Isn't it good to be in the light? Look at the person next to you and say, I'm glad I'm in the light. And if I'm blinding you, I'm sorry, but there's going to be a chance for you to get in the light today. (laughs) All right, number two, if you're with me, say, "Uh uh-huh. If I'm walking in the light, here's what happens. I will, number two, produce fruit that impacts my world around me. Produce fruit. Did you realize that you're to let your light shine? And I don't know why, but before in churches, we used to have testimony Sundays. You guys ever been a part of that where someone shares what God was doing? And now it's like, let's put my candle under. The, let, 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 no one share what, what's going on in your life. And I think as Christians, we're to motivate each other. We're to inspire each other. So I was inspired by a story this week. Um, this lady was telling me about how she was traveling in Chicago And she met this homeless lady and her daughter, and she said God had just moved on her heart. And all of a sudden, this wasn't the homeless lady, this is another homeless guy, but God had moved on her heart, 
to help this lady. So she started a GoFundMe page and did all this. And she went back to Atlanta where she's from. And get this, between her and the church and her friends, they got this lady in an apartment. She got back on her feet. And God is using this lady to this day. Isn't that a cool story? So after I heard the story, I met this guy. He approached me. And I'm like, you know, I got, after hearing the story, I got to do something. This lady, she, she's in her 60s. And she's a lady, I told you, she retired. And she said, I may retire, but now I'm going to refire. You guys remember that lady? Well, anyway, she's in my class. And so I met this guy. And he asked me for money. And my general rule is I don't hand out money because I don't know what they're going to do. So I said, listen, why don't you come in with me? I'm getting ready to study. And let's just eat together. And let's, let's talk about life. And so I had a meal with this guy. And his name is Michael. He's in his mid-50s. He can't read. He, he, it's hard for him to hold down a job. When it rains, he can't work because he does landscaping and other stuff. So Michael's sharing his story with me. And God gave me the opportunity to share Christ with him. He said he was a believer. And something I'm learning about the kingdom is the kingdom of God is life the way God intended. So for that one moment, that one meal, Michael, even though he's not living the way God intended, you know, he's struggling, he's having this fallen world. For that one meal, he experienced the kingdom. And God wants us to do that. So I hope this little story will inspire you. Who's going to be your Michael this week? You know, you may not be able to change the whole world, but you can impact one person in your world. So look back at verse number nine. I want to read it again. It says, the fruit of the spirit. Other translations say the fruit of the light. You notice in your Bible, it's italics. It's a different translator has put in different things. Is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now, we know the fruit of the spirit. It's one fruit with how many flavors? Nine flavors. You guys remember that in Sunday school? One fruit, nine flavors. Um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This verse lists three character traits that if you're walking in the light, these things are going to grow. Do we have anybody that gardens out there? I know some of you have little gardens. One essential ingredient for gardening is exposure to light. Right. So if you... Walk in the light, if it's watered by the word of God, three things are just going to blossom out of your life. The first one is goodness. That's living in such a way that you treat others with love, kindness, and respect. Wouldn't it be great to make goodness flourish again in the world? I mean, think about in your marketplace. And I was talking to someone earlier about, last week I talked about you know working in the car lot and hearing the dirty jokes. And I'm like, wouldn't it be good if... Instead of filthiness, people talked about good stuff. Wouldn't it be great to make America good again? Not good morality, but because we are who we are, it flows out of us. So a lot of times in churches we get it wrong. We teach these things, but these things start with a changed heart. Because Jesus is living inside of me, this grows out of me. You guys get what I'm saying? If we teach goodness without a relationship with God, it's moralism. What Paul is teaching is not moralism, but if you have Christ living in you, goodness is going to grow out of you. If you're with me, say, "Uh uh-huh. The second one is righteousness. Living the way Jesus were, if he were walking your tennis shoes or whatever type of shoe you wear, what if Jesus was walking your shoes? How would he live his life? It's amazing that Jesus attracted sinners to him. You ever notice that? Sinners love Jesus. They... They flocked to him. And it's kind of interesting because he was light 
And light blinds people, but Jesus was a loving light. He wasn't a blinding light. And as Christians, we will blind people, but we need to do so in a loving way. So in other words, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. Have you ever met anybody that every sentence was Jesus and a Bible verse and they tend to push people away? That's not the light Paul's talking about. The light he's talking about, look at this, goodness, righteousness, and truth. If you will live it out in front of people, they will see it. And eventually, you will win the right to be heard. The problem is we like to speak without winning the right. And a lot of times that turns people off. Anybody seen that before? They hit someone over the head with the Bible and it's like they're saying the right things but doing it the wrong way. So Jesus wants us to be this loving light that helps people. The, the other thing is truth. Doing what you say you will do and saying what you know to be true. Let me tell you a story about where I blew that this week. Um, you know, as you know, I'm far from perfect. So I like to tell stories about when I blow it so you guys get that um, Timothy's got a lot to work on. So... I told my children, when I get home from this trip, I'm going to bring you a little prize. It's like a, I was thinking of you, momentum, you know, a little piece. And as I rushed home to get to my family, I forgot one thing. I forgot to get the, the present. And um, so Kira, my oldest, says, Daddy, where's my, where's my present? Because you said you're bringing it. And I hesitated. I said, well, you're going to get it tonight or in the morning. <laughs> So one problem with that, I didn't tell the whole truth. And as soon as I said it, the Lord convicted me and said, Timothy, you not telling your daughter the truth. Now, yet granted, you know, you can still get her that, but you're not. So I had to pull Kira aside and said, honey, I'm sorry, I, I forgot. Um, I'm still going to get you what I said I would, but I forgot. And that wasn't good enough because the next day the Lord wanted me to go further and tell her what I should have done. I should have told you the whole truth that Daddy blew it. So it's funny, the Holy Spirit didn't even let me get, it was a half confession. I told her, you know, I should have told you I forgot, I blew it, I'm sorry. But I, I left that point out, I just said I forgot. So the Lord showed me, listen, telling the truth as this talks about is telling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Have you ever noticed sometimes we tell half-truths and we think we're okay? For some reason, the Lord doesn't allow me to get by with half-truths. So what I did is I took the whole kids out and they were able to pick out their prize. And aren't you glad that even when you blow it like I did, God gives you second chances? That's great. So everything we're talking about is not meant to be like, oh, condemnation, but it's meant to be inspiration. Like, okay, I blow it, but God. Whenever you and I fall short, his grace fills in the gaps. Amen. Number three, if I'm walking in the light, I will live a life that pleases God. Verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. One of the number one questions ministers get asked is, this is probably the top five, what is God's will for my life? How many of you have ever asked that? What is God's will? We, I mean, we're searching. One of the biggest one is what's the meaning of life and followed closely to that is what's God's will. In the original language, this word finding out, it literally means putting to the test, approving or discerning. So did you know that you can understand and comprehend God's will for your life? You really can. 
is not some mysterious. God is not playing a cosmic game with you like, I want you to do my will, but I'm never going to reveal it to you. That would be cruel. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says it like this. If you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, number one, and verse 2 says, don't conform to the world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. It says, then you'll know what God's good, perfect, and pleasing will is. The problem is we're not surrendered to God and we're not allowing him to renew our mind and we're trying to understand something spiritual when we're not living it ourselves. So let me rephrase it like this. Most of us think of the will of God as a geographical place. Does God want me to move here or there? For those of you in college, does God want me to go to this college or that college? For those of you single, does God want to get married? Yes or no? If so, to who? For those of you who are married, does God want me to have kids? If so, how many? Let's not think of God's will as geographical but directional. God is more concerned about who you are. And if you will focus on the who, God will take care of the what, the when, and the where. Amen. So let me give you a few tips. These are a few pointers, and I'm going to go real fast due to time. Here's eight simple steps. It's not in your notes, but you can write them down. Eight simple steps to discern God's will for your life. So the next time you think, what is God's will, or someone asks you, you'll have eight simple steps. The first one is this. Ask God. Have you really asked God? Many people, Pastor, what is God's will? Have you prayed about it? Well, no, that's why I'm coming to you. Listen, step one, ask God. He will show you. So begin with prayer. Step two is obedience check. Are you currently obeying God's will for your life now? If the answer is no, do you expect God to reveal the next step? You have to be faithful where you're at before God will give you the next piece of the puzzle. Think about a puzzle. If you're not completing the pieces given you, God seldom and rarely gives you that second piece of the puzzle. So obedience check number two. Number three, life calling. Does this job Does this relationship, does this opportunity line up with what I already know God's will for my life to be? If it doesn't, can you really do it? I want to speak to some of the singles today. A lot of times someone will say, I want to date this guy or this girl, but you ask the question, will will their person line up with your will? No, but I'll change him. Good luck with that. All of the married people will say, do they change after they're married? (laughs) Look all the heads. Okay. Now, God can sanctify and grow them, but the point is you don't want to take that gamble. You don't want to play Russian roulette with a relationship. God can change anyone, but God says be equally yoked. So does that person line up with whatever God's calling you to do? It works with a job and all that. Number four, so ask God, obedience check, life calling. Number four is wise counselors. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. So we got Brother Kevin Wimbish with us today, a great counselor. Good to have you. Um, you know, it's like counseling helps. We all need counseling, whether we admit it or not. So the Bible says if you need direction, you ask God, but also ask some wise people because they can give you perspective that maybe you lack. Number five, and many of you know this one, is the peace check. If you don't have peace about it, why are you moving forward? Don't move forward until you have the peace of God. You know, there's the peace of God and there's the peace with God. The peace with God happens when you accept Christ into your life. The peace of God is ongoing. Ask God to give you peace or lack of in this situation. So if you don't have peace, don't move forward. That's a red light. Number six, trials. This is just a wisdom principle. 
It's best not to make major life-altering decisions in the midst of a trial. You need to let the, the darkness clear away so you can have perspective. Don't raise your hand for this, but how many of us have made bad decisions when we were in bad times and we look back and I would never made that decision had I not been in that place and time? So wisdom principle. Number seven, circumstances. How many of us kick doors open that God has shut? Is God closing a door and you're trying to kick it open? Or has God opened the door and you're saying, no, God, I'm not going to go? Look at circumstances. God often will speak through circumstances. And finally, if God gives your green light on all seven of those, then you proceed forward with a humble confidence, but also with open hands. God, I'm moving forward because you've, you've given me peace. People have said this is the right thing to do. You've, you've showed me to go forward. But God, if you change directions, I will follow you. So those are eight simple steps to know what God's will. This is true when you're single, when you're married, when you're senior adult. Every state of life. God's going to help you. Number four, if I'm walking in light, I will push back the darkness inside me and around me. Verse 11 through 14 is so beautiful. It says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, let me tell you what this verse does not say. It does not say you cannot have lost friends. You need to have people that are unlike you so you can reach them. But what this does say is fellowship, a partnership. People who are not following Christ should not be in your inner circle because they're going to give you bad advice. They're probably going to lead you. Because they're not walking in the light. They're walking in darkness. And guess what? You're going to stumble over the same things they stumble. Verse 12, it says, For it is shameful even to speak of those things that are done by them in secret. So here's another principle is a lot of times Christians become obsessed and a curiosity of what about what's going on in the world? What's going on with this cult or what's going on with this mysterious things? And there have been Christians throughout history that have begun to study certain false religions. And not to say you can't understand, but they go deep into them and all of a sudden they find themselves in, in the midst of darkness. And you just got to be careful with that. It's just a caution. It says don't even talk about the, those things in darkness. In other words, it's not saying you can't have an intellectual understanding, but it's saying that don't become an expert on what is evil. So I, I, I'll give you an example for that. Um, one time, this was back in my, um, I guess, teenage, early 20 days, I had a guy at work that basically rebuked me, and he said, Timothy, you know what? I've been out in the world. I've done this and that, so I have a better testimony than you do. I can relate to people better than you can. And because you've lived this life and try to follow God, you can't relate to people like I can. And you know what he's saying? Is the greater the knowledge of evil, the greater you can help people in the light. I mean, what's wrong with this, this thinking? It goes back to Genesis 3. You remember the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil? And they had the knowledge of evil, of the knowledge of good, but they didn't have the knowledge of evil. And Satan's strategy was, God's holding back on you. Yes, you have the knowledge of good, but you also need the knowledge of evil. And he's perpetuated that same lie to Christians since that moment on. Okay, you don't need to be sheltered. You need to know a little bit about the world. You need... The Bible never says that. That lie that Satan throws out, it goes back to Genesis 3. Romans sixteen nineteen says it like this. Be excellent in what is good and be innocent of evil. In other words, when it comes to good, be an expert. When it comes to evil... You don't really need to know about it because it's going to lead you into darkness. Can I get a uh-huh? 
It says, but all things are exposed and made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. And then verse 14, and I wonder if God is saying this to someone today. It's, it's a verse that is so powerful. But listen to this verse. It says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. So here's the thing. God is saying to any of us who aren't in the light, today is your day to awaken. Today is the day to ask Jesus into your life. And you can exchange the darkness. You can exchange the smoke-filled hotel for something far better because he wants to give you light. Amen. A few quick stories and we're finished. Um, I was talking to a guy. He was a pastor in Orlando. And he was saying, Timothy, you wouldn't believe in Orlando. They have all these beautiful areas for senior adults and they have a lot of fun he said the problem with it is is they they become silos where they just hang out with each other and they don't really hang out with anyone outside this this beautiful compound if you will and it's great to have a beautiful place to live but the problem is is their light is not shining because they're just hanging out with each other and they're not impacting people outside their little sphere and uh after he said that it's funny i talked to a friend that um, he said the exact same thing to me, except he's in that. And he said, Timothy, I don't go to a church with kids because I, I, they bother me and I want to hang out just with, with older people. And I'm like, is that a church or is that a country club, right? And uh, I, I didn't rebuke him, but I was just like, God, this is so selfish, my goodness. See, Jesus has called us to be light, not to be hidden away, not to be self-absorbed, it's about me. If you're light, you're supposed to push back the darkness. You're not to channel it into one little space and say, I'm never going to come in contact with people I don't like. I'm never going to touch people that are unlike me. Look at Jesus. He hung out with the, the, the people that were the lowliest because he said, I, I have come to seek and save the lost. I didn't come just to hang out and have a good time. We have forever to have a good time right now is their opportunity to be light bearers. Amen. A young lady that was working in a factory, many of you work in factories, plants, she went to her minister and said, Pastor, you know what, Monday comes and I'm going to turn in my notice. I just can't take it. And he said, what's the matter, honey? And she said, I am the only Christian in the factory that I work at. And everyone's just making fun of me. You know, you've got all these jokes and jeers. And she said, I... I'm turning my notice. I, I just I can't be abused like this, verbal abuse. And the minister said, let me ask you a question. Where do lights go in the house? And she's like, did you hear what I'm saying? I'm talking about job. What are you talking about lights in the house? So he said, just answer my question. Where do lights go on in the house? And she said, well, I guess in the darkest room. And he said, listen, God has placed you as the only light in that dark place. So don't allow the devil to snuff your light out. And according to the story, she realized the opportunity that she had as a missionary in the marketplace, and she was able to lead nine women to Christ in that plan. So her take-home truth is this. Life grows in the light, but dies in the darkness. If you're a Christian, and you're choosing to walk in darkness, your spiritual life is not what it should be. The reason why you're not happy, not joyful, is because you were made for the light. You are now a child of the daytime, not of darkness. So if you're living in darkness and you're, you're, you're a Christian, you're not going to be very satisfied with life. 
Life is much better in the light. So hit the action step. How do we how do we put this into practice? The first one is looking inside me. Are there any areas of darkness? Are there any habits, hang-ups, hurts, things that are just really bringing me down? Ask God to expose that to the light. And by the way, his light is loving. He's not, it's not, I use the illustration of the possum and the headlights. It's not quite like that. His light is going to draw you to him, not to repel you away. So the second thing is once you've done that, you've taken care of stock. Is Did you know that as soon as you guys get in your cars and leave, you're going into a mission field? The church is kind of a gathering to worship God, but it's also a rallying place to where wherever you go, at Ingalls, the restaurant, listen, the kingdom of God is inside of you. And you may be the only light to that person. So here's just a simple strategy. If you go out to eat today, and I'll try to remind myself to do this. If you have a waitress, say, we're getting ready to pray. How can I bless you? I want to pray a blessing over you. Most people will not say, no, you cannot bless me. But ask, how can I bless you? And you be the salt, you be the light, because Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would use it to transform our lives and our hearts. God, for all of us, as many of us have fallen short of you, in those areas where we've fallen, please forgive us. And God, please help the light of Christ radiate through us. And Father, if there be one here that's in darkness, I read verse 14, awake, O sleeper. If that's you, if that verse was speaking to you right where you're at, confess your sins to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've been living in darkness. I am darkness. I pray that you would forgive me and come into my life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose again, and I want to make you my Lord and Savior. Just tell him right now, And in that very instant where you pray a prayer of faith, light will come cascading into your heart. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.